previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. Look, I'm a reporter. At the end of the day, I'm sorry that you're going through something. I'm sorry you lost the game, but I'm here to do a job. I need to get something from you. I'm going to take it. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome back to the Sports Refuge Podcast, the show where we talk with guests about their connection to sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. My interview with this week's guest, Thomas Banks, is one I'm very fortunate to have taken part of. In this candid discussion, I talk with Thomas about various topics, including the contrast between his native Maryland and moving to Florida, as well as his experiences doing stand-up comedy and winning an open mic night. Banks also gets personal as he discusses the relationship with his father and how he was able to reconnect with his father's family and how it had an impact on him when it came time to raise his own son. Thomas also discusses what it's like being a Miami Heat fan, his favorite sports teams, and his newfound love for bowling and the aspirations of becoming a professional bowler. And right now, my interview with Thomas Banks. You know, Thomas Banks is someone that you just have to hear him talk and you can't help but laugh because whatever he says is gold. And I'm glad to have you here, Thomas. I know normally this is one of these weird cold intros where I normally would just give a whole backstory, but I feel like we would end up wasting all the good stuff. And so we're just going to get into it. How are you today, Thomas? Hey, I'm doing well, Earl. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing absolutely great. I always tell people that every day above ground's a good one. And nowadays, you know, we're losing people so quickly. You just never know how short things are. Yes, sir. That's very, very true, man. Very true. Very blessed to be where I am and air in my body. And every day I'm able to wake up and look outside and this nice weather I got and, and everything is peaches and cream, man. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, I know there's a million things I want to talk to you about and hopefully I can get as much in as I can. But you now live in Florida and you originally lived in Maryland. We went to high school together. So high school went to the University of Maryland, Eastern Shore. What was the biggest transition like lifestyle wise from moving from Maryland to Florida? Oh, uh, definitely. It was a big culture shock when you move down to Florida, especially the area I'm in. It's more or less uh, it was a little town. I'm not in there now, but when I moved hit Florida, it was a little town. Uh, like I said, called Immokalee, Florida. It was just a big culture because, like I said, the only thing that was down here is, you know, you got a lot of Spanish, you got a lot of Haitians, but very nice people, don't get me wrong, but it's almost like looking at a third world country when you got down here. You didn't have good looking people down here, man. They were all ugly people, man. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what is the comparing Florida to Maryland again? I guess where we're at, Snow Hill, we lived like maybe like a half an hour from the beach. And I assume in Florida, you're so close to the beach that you probably end up getting tired of it. Yeah, I've never been a beach guy. When I came down here, man, that's all that's here, man. But there's a place called Fort Myers Beach, Florida. It's a... it's pretty nice, you know. I always enjoy going to the beach at nighttime. Because uh, down here, man, in Florida, you get real hot real quick. And then, like, beaches are not that good looking down here. They're not like Ocean City. You know, Ocean City is, you know, you have, like, the boardwalk. Then you have, like, the if you want to go take the amusement park rides, you can do things like that. Um, but here, it's just you got sand and there's no entertainment out on the beach at all it's like almost and i always tell when i run into people i'm like you know this beach has nothing on the beach i grew up home with i mean the only thing that you're really enjoying in florida is the weather but that's why a lot of people come down because it's sunshine to get tired of the snow 
But the beaches down here really isn't that great. I mean, there's a couple of beaches, Bonita Springs and Naples Beach, but the area I'm in, it's Fort Myers Beach, and it, it's not that great. But it is what it is, man. It's just it's not that great down here, man, with the beaches, man. Believe it or not. Unless you go to Miami. Now, you go to Miami, you got some nice beaches there. Plus, you got some good scenery. You know, you got some nudie beaches down in Miami, man. When I think of Fort Myers, I just think of, like, spring training because that's, like, the place where a lot of those scenes play. And I think that whole coastal area and all that, like, Sarasota and all that other stuff is a big haven for, like, tourists and, like, spring training because other than Arizona. Oh, yeah. Well... Believe it or not, there's a lot of celebrities that come down here to the beach. Like, I ran into um, the guy from um, New Orleans, the quarterback, Drew Brees. I met Mr. Drew Brees right here on Fort Myers Beach. I didn't know it was him at the time, but he even knew about Fort Myers Beach. So, you know, a lot of these celebrities try to get away to small areas, I guess, so, you know, a lot of people don't know him. But Drew Brees was down here. I ran to Eric Roberts, too. That's uh, Julia Roberts' brother. He was a guy in the Dark Knight. He was also on Fort Myers Beach. Believe it or not, it gets some stars that come out here, that, that you know, but they're all incognito, and they don't want anybody to know that's them. But, yeah, I mean, the beaches down here, they're okay. Um, you know, but like I said, it's overrated, I believe. You know, it's really, really overrated. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, Florida's nice. But like I said, you're coming down for what you're going to get, which is sunshine and rain. That's all that is. It's so flat, you know, but that's it. I do miss back home. You know, where you can go and you get your diverse seasons and you go to the beach and it's cold sometimes. You don't know. You never know. It'd be cold. It could be hot. But, you know, that's part of being on the eastern shore, I guess, that I miss a lot. It's funny. Just going on a quick sidebar. You mentioned Eric Roberts. It's crazy that while his sister is more popular, you've seen a lot more movies with Eric Roberts than anybody knows with Julia Roberts. Yeah, that's true, man. I grew up looking at Best of the Best. That was... Uh, one of my favorite karate movies at the time, man, with him in it. Although it was horrible, the action scenes were really, really bad, but he was a good actor. But I really took notice to him also, like in 2008, of course, with The Dark Knight. You know, he was a cool villain in that. But um, his sister, you know, she did our, her movie, Runaway Bride, right at our high school, you know, and she's always been, I guess, more successful than he has been, but he's still a good actor, you know. And like his daughter started to exceed him in popularity, Emma. And it's like uh, she was in that show Scream Queens with Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which movie was she in? I can't think of what it is. She's been in a few. Trying to think of what uh, movie she's been in. No, that she was, um, you know, in movies like that, man. She was in American Horror Story. Um, she was in three or four of the seasons. Uh, American Horror Story, American Horror Story Coven, um, American Horror Story Freak Show. She was in that movie where the Millers with Jennifer Aniston. Oh, she was in Scream 4. Wow, I didn't know that at all, man. Yeah, I'm just not really big into horror movies. I just, I would watch them, and maybe just like the excessive blood and guts, that's sort of like was the biggest turn off. As you know, I was a big fan of Michael Myers. Did see the new Halloween, and it was very, I should say, uh, it was more like a tribute to the first movie because it was really good. You know, it didn't have a lot of uh, blood and guts or anything in that. It was more or less like pop-up scares and more of, you know, Michael Myers being the, he was like the shape. And he was more like a shadow. He was moving like a, like how they say, the unconscious mind. He was very stealth with his kills and everything. It was a very good movie the way they did it. But it was basically the first movie all over again. 
You know, like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think Rob Zombie did a great job with his Halloweens, the two that he did, you know, but that was Rob Zombie. You know, Rob Zombie has that personality that he, he has a weird personality with his things, which is good. It's, it's him. That's who he is. But this new Halloween, I was a little disappointed, but I was okay with it because, like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, she came back. But it, it was basically H2O 20 more years later. It was like, uh, you know, like, I mean, I think the guy that played Michael Myers, Jude Courtney, he did a good job. You know, but how hard is it really to play Michael Myers? You know, all you gotta do is put on a mask and walk around like you got a wedgie all day. What would you say is probably the dumbest horror movie you ever watched? Oh man, I've seen some dumb horror movies, but I think the dumbest horror movie I ever seen was uh, this movie called Dead Alive. Um, <laughs> Bones with Snoop Dogg, man. But yeah, that movie was horrible, man. I mean, don't get me wrong, Snoop Dogg's the man, but as a horror movie villain, man, yeah, man, no, it was not uh, my cup of tea, man. But Bones is really, really bad, man. I could not fathom to see. Now, I, I like Gin and Juice, man, don't get me wrong. But Bones, he's got to do some more acting on his chops, man. He's, he was pretty bad in that movie. He reminded me of a scary pimp. In that movie, man. Well, I think that's what he was, but it was horrible, man. It was absolutely horrible. Um, Bones was pretty bad. Jason X. I don't know if you ever seen that, but I don't understand it because in Jason 10, he dies and Freddy Krueger at the end pulls him down to Hades. You know, so then next thing you know, in the next movie, he's in outer space. I don't know how that worked, man. I don't know who wrote that movie, but I mean, they just dogged it. And then he became half Jason, half Cyborg. You know, he looked like Quasimodo meet the Terminator. <laughs> he looked bad, man. It was horrible, man. Like, the ideas of these horror movies now are just trash, man. But the no scene one... with the uh, with the sleeping bag, <laughs> he throws yeah, it Yeah, like, <laughs> what is that, man? He's beating up the sleeping bag, and then it goes with the hologram. It is trash, man. And, like, I don't know, man. They take horror... You know, don't get me wrong, because we live in an age now that you can look on the internet and you can see all kinds of crazy things, man. So it's kind of hard to, like, scare someone when they got access to the internet and they can see, oh, man, there's a guy, you know, getting beheaded or, like, you know, you see a kid getting smashed, ran over by a car or something. Like, it's sad that it's like that, but you can, it's hard to make movies like that, man. Like, because we're so accustomed... We've become a generation now of, of being accustomed to seeing whatever you want. It's, it's the age of the internet, man. You can see everything you want to see. You know, things happening in, you know, what's going on in Italy or what's going on in Asia or what's going on here or whatever. To make a horror movie in this day and age, it's pretty hard, man. And that's just something that touches home more. You know, things that we see every day or like we experience. It's just hard, man. Like, who's scared of Freddy Krueger anymore? A guy that come in your dreams. I'm not. I would be more scared of, like, you know, the ice cream man coming, you know? Here, I got some tutti fruity for you. No, and then he kills you, man. You got you don't you ever know, man. This is horrible, man. What were your thoughts on Get Out? Get Out? Well, I thought it was a very good movie. I know there was a lot of people, uh, when I went to the movie theater, actually, I was in Tampa when I went and saw this movie. And Tampa is almost more African-American. And there was like a couple of sprinkles of white people in this movie when I went and seen it. And it was uh, very good. I, I felt bad for them because a lot of people were like, yeah, kill that. You know, they were going off, man. And like, I mean, it was a good movie. 
I think Peel did a really, really good job with this movie, man. I mean, I thought it was uh, very nostalgic. I thought it was uh, very smart. Just from a movie standpoint, I mean, he did a really good job with it. Now, I'm interested in what he's going to do with us. I want to definitely go see that because, like I said, he, that's what I mean with being just different with things. You know, you never knew or known that someone would make a movie that's saying, you know, the key to, I guess, um, it was in the African-Americans, which we African-Americans are the original people. So it's a good idea that he came up with that, you know, but even with the whole idea of, you know, they were trying to get organs from the African-Americans and use it on themselves. It's, it's all crazy, bro, but he did a good job with that movie, man. He did a real, really good job with it, man. But like I said, I'm more curious to see in Us than anything. I think Us is going to be very, very interesting when we go see that. And I know he's directing and hosting the new Twilight Zone, too, so that sounds very interesting. And I never really thought he was going to be much of a thriller suspense guy because you look at it, you always see Key and Peele, you always see some of those stories on Key and Peele, some of those sketches. They probably have touched base with a lot of people, black or not. I look at the one where they do the acapella groups and the two guys are fighting over the acapella group. <laughs> no, yeah, he's definitely a funny guy, man. Remember that other guy, they get together, man, and uh, I was never watching one skit on TV with them two, and they, they were like, man, you rubbed my butt, man. He's like, no, I didn't, man. I pushed you. And he said, all right, man, we're going to fight on three. And every time they would go like one, two, three, he would do like some gay position, man. It was hilarious, man. Like, those guys are funny, man. But, uh, yeah, but see, like, a lot of those guys, like, you know, like even Michael Gordon Green, you know, you didn't know he had a hand in the new Halloween movie. A lot of these comics, you know, the guys that do comedy, man, they got some dark sides to them, man. A lot of them are very talented, man, you know. Like I said, he had a hand in Halloween. You never knew that he would have been, like, having a hand in Halloween. And he's like, he did This Is The End. He oh, yeah, with uh, Seth Rogen and all them? Yeah, he was in that, man. And that was hilarious, man. <laughs> you know, like, you just be surprised, man. Like, people are talented, man. It was a good, uh, Get Out was very good. You know, for and I kind of knew what I was walking into when I seen that movie. You know, I thought it was, like, uh, very unique. Like I said, very, very different from what you've seen coming out. That's why it was so successful. You know, it was different from your hack and slash. It was more psychological than anything, you know. You know, the beginning of the movie when I seen it, it was very, uh, when he hit the deer, deer got hit. Man, it was like, wow, man. You could tell he had some trauma in his life, by the way. And he's a great actor. You know, the guy that played that was in that movie, uh, he really sold the parts. So it was a great movie, man. Really good movie. Yeah. And it's funny. We were just talking about, you know, you, the dark sides of comedians. And like, if you watch, think about this one example, Robin Williams, think about all the characters he's played. And then you look at like one hour photo and you look at that other one with the Al Pacino and Hillary Swank. I can't think of it, what it is off the top of my head, but man, he played some really creepy characters and it's like a huge spectrum of what he could play. Oh yeah, man. Robin Williams was a really, but you know, he was a really dark, I mean, he was suffering too, though, man. He was going through some things, man, some personal things. So like, you know, sometimes when you get out on stage or you, you go into your roles and things, that's your outlet. But when you're alone, man, he was, I think he was suffering from like, I don't know if it's depression or, you know, a lot of them guys, man, like, but, and then like they go through things, man. But sometimes when you're doing comedy, and things like that, you got to hit where sometimes it hurts. And people like to laugh at your pain, believe it or not. But, you know, that's what you do, man, to, to get your outlet. Another one is Jim Curry. 
I don't know if you've noticed Jim Carrey lately, man, but he was like, well, he made a movie not too long ago, the number 23. He used to be the mask, Ace Ventura, pet detective. Funny guy, man, but again, he went into a dark role with the number 23, and then there was another movie he came out with now. Like, I, you know, I didn't really get a chance to see it, but once again, he looks like he's playing a more suspenseful, dark role, you know? I don't know, man. Like, these guys, man, they're trying to express themselves on how things are going in their lives, and I don't know, man. It's it's a sad thing to happen with Robin Williams, because, you know, he was a very talented person, you know, but it seems like I'm just waiting for Kevin Hart to do it, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were talking about with, with Robin Williams, yeah, the movie Insomnia. It was the movie Insomnia. Apparently, that was directed by Christopher Nolan. Oh, really? I didn't really see that one, man. I know. I think he was like some type of killer in that, wasn't he? Yeah, I believe so. I was just looking at really quickly on Wikipedia. That's probably one of his dark... I'm a one-hour photo probably wasn't as dark, but definitely Insomnia was. Yeah, he was a killer, I think, in Alaska or something. I, and I haven't seen the whole movie, but... <laughs> he was I, a cold killer. <laughs> <laughs> And with Robin Williams' idea, one of the things that he had like a form of dementia that also sort of didn't help him be in his right mind as well, because he didn't know what was going on. Apparently, there's like a lot of stuff that was going on because there was like this interview that Bobcat Goldthwait did with Joe Rogan because Bobcat Goldthwait and Robin Williams were really good friends. And it's like he didn't know with the dementia. It was like he wasn't in his right mind sometimes. There were points where he had to be in a separate room from his wife because he was having seizures to the point where it was causing a lot of issues. And he, yeah. he, had, he was like detached from reality from the dementia it was like far different from I guess a traditional type of dementia but now I see these commercials where people say they have dementia and they start seeing things in addition to the memory losses and it's like you don't really know what goes on with the mind and the mind can be such a very fragile thing just looking at anything from concussions to any type of medical issue that goes down the road and I am no way near a doctor I never played one on TV or things like that but it's crazy how the mind is such a unique and fragile thing yeah yeah that is very very true man and then we're only using what 10 percent of just imagine if we use our full brain man we, we would all like be probably destroyed and you imagine those people who are like go on jeopardy and if they're only using 10 percent of their brain imagine if they use even just 20 percent twice as yeah. much yeah, like I was trying to answer questions on Jeopardy the other day and got all of them wrong. I didn't know anything. I tried to pretend like I knew what I was talking about. So what I do, I cheat. I put the subtitles on and then they'll read what comes at the bottom. And then who is such and such? Oh, how'd you know that? I said, because I know. No, sometimes you get those <laughs> captions that jump ahead of the answer before yeah, that's what I was doing, man. and then you ever look at some of those captions on tv where somebody's trying to decipher what the word is and it's something completely different <laughs> yeah oh my god it just sort of reminds me you, you have you seen that video clip that viral video clip of the uh sign language interpreter who is who's doing all the sign language during the snoop concert and she's getting into it <laughs> <laughs> oh man she was really getting into it because it was like i think she was like at the firefly concert and she was really getting into the stuff she was you know it looked like she was crip walking and stuff while she Jesus, was doing the sign language yeah next thing you know she gets shot out of nowhere gets sniped <laughs> jfk style oh man oh and as we were talking about comedians i know that you had a foray in doing stand-up comedy was it during an open mic night or yeah, actually, I'm still doing it, man. I'm still clicking, man, with open mic night. I actually, my first time was in Fort Myers, and I was at work one day. One of my uh, associates came up to me, and they were like, hey, man, uh, 
you're a pretty funny guy, Thomas. Why don't you try stand-up? I was like, well, I don't think I'll be that good. I don't really know what I would talk about. He said, man, just get on the stage, man, and just talk, man. Just try it, man. So I said, all right. So I went to open mic night, and then um, I placed first in open mic night, man. So um, I've been doing it every chance I can get. I sign up for it, and it's very fun, man. There's a guy that hosted it down here. His name is Flying Brian from the Freak Show. He's a radio host, and he hosts the uh, open mic nights at this comedy club I go to. So, but I still do it, man. It's fun. When you get on stage, man, you can be whoever you want to be. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about. It just so happens when I went on stage, man, the three things I was talking about was Fortnite. At the time, it was Avengers. And then, of course, you talk about the porn, man. <laughs> Did you just go off the top of your head? Did you at least have like something written down, like little bullet points, what you wanted to emphasize? Or is it just... Oh, yeah, man. And when I went up there, when I was talking about Fortnite, man, I would get up there and I'd write down what I want to write down. Like, you have, like, a 10-minute skit, and then you just go from there. Like, I know what I'm going to write about the night before. I sit down, and I write, and then I go on stage, and, you know, I just memorize everything I write. Like, I'll give you a little example. I was writing about uh, Fortnite, where I was playing Fortnite with these group of people. And if you're ever familiar with Fortnite, you jump off of a bus, you know, when you land. It took me a little while to land because I don't have regular internet. I have hotspot. <laughs> so, like, about the time I landed on the ground, all my partners were dead. <laughs> and then you're playing with this this four-year-old kid who's getting mad at you, cursing you out, you know, because you don't know how to build on Fortnite. And then, like, you're getting shot up. And then they're calling your mom names and things of that nature, man. So it's like... Oh, man. Like, I mean, of course, I said it a lot more funnier, but I was just giving you a little brief thing of what I was talking about. That and, and in Avengers Infinity War, I was saying, like, how come when Thanos snapped his fingers, all the black people died first in the movie? <laughs> it's true. It was Vin Diesel, so he died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Falcon died, Black Panther died, and now I said, even the tree. I thought we were supposed to be saving the environment. <laughs> but Don Cheadle didn't die, and he's Captain Planet. Oh, yeah, he is Captain Planet, man. Oh, man. That guy looks scary. As I would go see that as a scary movie, man. Don Cheadle as Captain Planet, man. The nostrils on that man is scary, man. Oh, man. I still think that Terrence Howard looked more like Rhodey, especially if you watch that cartoon with the one where James Avery was the voice of Rhodey. <laughs> <laughs> James Avery was the voice of Shredder, man. I oh. never knew that. Hey, and there's like this scene on YouTube called Uncle Shredder, where they basically had Shredder and they did all these Uncle Phil quotes, these serious Uncle Phil quotes. <laughs> and it's just, I oh mean, I tell you, you know, the internet, when they aren't being racist, mean spirited or nothing, they can be absolutely funny, man. They can be yeah, absolutely oh funny. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. But that's the internet, man. Like I said, it's the age we live in, bro. I just sort of lost my train of thought there because we were just talking about uh, James Avery as Shredder. Oh, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is supposed to be directing a Captain Planet movie. Hey, when you win your Oscar, this is what happens. You know, if you get mauled by a bear to win an Oscar. Hey, man, Revenant was good, though, man. It was a good movie. I thought he did a really good job in that movie, but he laid down the whole movie, and he didn't really have to talk that much. He just had to, eh, 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 eh. sound like, you know, he was pushing out a big one, but he did a good job playing that movie, man. Like, he got mauled by a bear, man. He did the best he could, bro. I'm pretty sure if I got mauled right now by, like, a duck or something, I would be the same way, man. 
Do you think that was his best role? Because it always seems like people win Oscars for the roles that aren't their best. I had recently talked to someone about Denzel. Denzel won for a movie that was not his best role. I still thought Malcolm X was Denzel's best role. But do you think The Revenant was Leonardo DiCaprio's best role? No, man. Definitely not. I think his best role probably was uh, definitely Titanic, man. <laughs> I thought you were going to say The Departed. I mean... The Departed was really good. I don't know. I just look how actors first start out because they try harder. To me, they try harder when you've got to make a name for yourself. I thought he did really well in Titanic. But everything else, like the Titanic, to me, same. <laughs> who thought that the kid who was just brought in on Growing Pains would end up being the superstar and have the Oscar? Yeah, well, he was in Gilbert Grape. Yeah. Man. He was the special kid in Gilbert Grape. I take that back. It takes a lot of talent to act that way, man. <laughs> I'm just thinking Tropic Thunder where Robert Downey Jr. He starts talking about all the people who go a little extra for their roles, including I Am Sam and how Sean Penn went home empty-handed <laughs> because he went a little too extra as opposed to Dustin Hoffman and Tom Hanks, all those roles. And I guess it's true. You know, it's a stupid thing, especially now that everybody's talking about blackface. What were your thoughts on Robert Downey Jr.'s character in Tropic Thunder? Because before you preface it, I just want to say he was making fun more of people who get into method acting instead of anything racial. They were basically making fun of Russell Crowe. I mean, Australian guy and who would go so far into a role where he'd have the surgery and everything like that. I did not see anything offensive about the way Robert Downey Jr. portrayed his character. I don't see anything wrong with it either. When you're an actor, man, that's what you're doing. You're acting. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you look at Tyler Perry, he dresses up as a woman in Medea, you know, and just because what Robert Downey, his persona was, he changed his skin color. Look at white chicks. I mean, white people could get mad about things like that, too. Like, hey, why you got these black guys dressing up as white girls acting like us? That's not how we act or whatever. You know, I mean, it was just for entertainment. And a lot of people take offense to certain things, unfortunately, you know, but I think Robert Downey did a great job during that movie, man. It was funny. He sold the part. I mean, it was good. I mean, but people need to stop being so sensitive. Like, it's weird, man, because we're so sensitive to things that are so trivial, but yet we're not sensitive to, like, we walk by the street, you see a homeless guy. You'd rather give the dog food first than you give the homeless guy. It's, it's sad, man. You know, but that's where we live in now, man. You know, nowadays you go into the cereal aisle, you skip past the bags of cereal, man. You know, the bag cereal, the sugar shocks. Now you go straight to the Captain Crunch, man. It's not right, man. <laughs> I was going to say, because it made me think of two things about the homeless guy and the dog. First, I think of the Paul Mooney joke where he says, when I see a white homeless person, I cry. I say, like a waste of good white skin. But also, I think of the thing I also mentioned before when I was talking to my brother and my cousin. We were talking about, man, imagine a man with a dog getting hit by a car. First thing they'll do is go look and see if the dog's okay and not care about the <laughs> yeah, for real, man. And it's like people tend to, and there's nothing wrong with loving animals and things like that. I feel like people who mm -hmm. harm animals are evil people and there's a spot in hell with child molesters and things like that. But I feel like sometimes there's a focus animals and there are human beings and there's a huge disconnect with that now where people don't treat their fellow man as well as they would an animal. Yeah, that's true. There are animal lovers out there, and I'm not meaning to say anything like to make them feel like disrespect or anything, but human beings are important too. Somebody down on their luck, man, you know, it's a sad thing to see, man, but believe it or not, man, I guess because animals are more trustworthy, I guess, you know, than humans. I don't know, but you will see people taking, oh my God, look at the homeless guy and his dog. 
Look at that dog. He just needs help. He can't feed the dog. Well, who's going to feed him? It's just sad, man. You know, I see it all the time, man. I, like, I see a guy, when I go to the grocery store, he stands on the corner, and he's got a little sign up. And I don't know where he finds the money to find a cardboard piece of box to write things on, but he found the money to do it. And next beside him is this dog, man. And then, like, it's a little dog, man, and it's like you can see the bones. And I'm just like, man, if you're hungry, man, just eat the dog, man. Because, like, it's already getting ready to get put out in his misery, man. It's bad, man. And you're just standing up there. You know, every car is passing by him, splashing mud all over his clothes when they drive by him. It's sad, man. Like, somebody just help this guy get off the street, get him a job, or, like, you know, try to put him in the right direction. And then take his dog to probably the Humane Society so you can put him down or give him a good home. You know, something, man. It's, it's sad, man. But that's where we live in, man. They'll take a dog in the street before they take a human, man. I don't know. And I got you. And there's times when you want to help out. You see a homeless person. You want to give change. But sometimes you feel like you've been burned so many times. You find out they're scamming you. And yeah. it's like, oh, man. It makes you not want to do a good deed if somebody else screws you. It's like you hear, I don't know how I'll hear, but you hear people talking about, hey, the person's hungry. And hey, let me get you a sandwich. Like, nah, I'll just take the money. I feel like that's going down a slippery slope. We could talk about, oh. So many things about it, but I just feel like sometimes when you want to try to help someone out and you find out, oh, they're just trying to bilk you for some money, yeah, it makes true. you not want to help anybody. Yeah, but you know what, Earl, man? What I do now when I see a homeless person, man, I kill it all. They'd be like, sir, I'm hungry. I buy a Twix and I give them a piece of it. I said, that way I got one and you got one too. Sometimes when it's like, if you want to drop something off to give something, I do it the way with Salvation Army. I'd try to give them like a nickel or something. I just say it's not much, but it's all I can do. That's right. You know, losing five cents is one thing. A dollar, that's especially now, a dollar doesn't even go that far anymore. Yeah, I know it don't. You got to be careful giving away your nickel, too, because Thomas Jefferson might resurrect and be like, hey, man, why you giving away five cents, man? You know, I got all these kids, man. You got to be careful, bro. You got to be careful. Did you ever see this skit on Mad TV so long ago when they were big into the whole Thomas Jefferson uh, genealogy thing? And then yeah, the next man. thing you know is, is Keegan-Michael Key come in as George Jefferson. It's like, yeah, come back and claim my inheritance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson was a pimp, man. Oh. He was a <laughs> Thomas Jefferson liked that chocolate, man. Oh, my God. It's weird. <laughs> when you hear all that stuff in history, it's this. <sighs> I know everybody but wants man, to get the excuse. The thing, man, it's been so watered. Things that we were taught, man. I, I got kind of mad about high school, man. You know, even with American history, man, because you know it's just like the things that taught us in high school. Let's be real, man. How much of it is true, man, and how much of it is false? You know, like I remember sitting in Mrs. Uh, what was that lady called? She got she got Quakers. Oh, Quakers. Miss Shawstall. Yeah, I thought you were talking about oatmeal, man. I never knew what she was talking about, man. She was a good teacher, man, but, like, you know, I never could take these classes serious, man, because it was like, how are you going to talk about history? Like, I mean, I guess it's American history, but, you know, like, we've been cheated out of knowing what real history is, especially if, if you're black or if you're Asian. It, like, if you're a white person, you're trying to tell a, an Asian kid about their history, you're like, what? That's not Confucius didn't say that. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the <laughs> or, fortune cookie said that. <laughs> yeah. And two egg rolls and dumpling. Yeah, man. But, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, I just think we were so misled, man. Like, they didn't even tell us about real things. Like, hey, man, don't mess up your credit. You know, credit is, is important. And invest your money. You know, things that are just going to help you out in the long run. Hey, don't do drugs, which they did. You had D.A.R.E., but 
you know, stay away from cigarettes or, or things of that nature. Let's speak about things that are really, really relevant right now, man. You know, don't get me wrong. I would like to know the equation to 2 plus 2 divided by 6 divided into 12, and that's going to help me out to get a job. I mean, <laughs> going back to the history thing, you ever notice we started so early, we'd always end right before the 1950s. We'd finish maybe right at the end of, of World War II. We don't get to Korea. We don't get to the Red Scare. We don't get to, you know, all that stuff that happened uh, in the 50s all the way down to the 60s. Yeah, man. Well, you know, I think with us being children of the 80s, man, I think the 80s were the best. You had Wham, man. You had George Michaels, man. You had Saturday morning cartoons. The toys were 10 times better, man. These kids don't even know what Thundercats are, man. And it's weird because some of those were made in China. And back then, I think some of them were made in Taiwan. Some of those toys were made in Taiwan and probably all got poisoned through some of those action figures. The He-Mans, the Transformers, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, it's weird. Growing up, do you consider yourself a millennial? No, I do not. These millennials now, they're doing weird stuff, man. To get high, you know, I was talking to a kid. He's a millennial, man. He was born in 1998 or 99 or something. And he's talking about getting high. And the way he's getting high now is they sniff bags of poo, man. <laughs> what? Bags of poo? You're kidding, they let right? They sit, man. They're like, you're, they're like you're not kidding, are you? No, I'm not. It is disgusting. You know, just like with the bath tablets. And the like, Tide do Pods. Do? <laughs> no, don't get me wrong, man. Them pods like gummies. They look pretty tasty, man. You know, I wouldn't do one, but I'm like, damn, man, if I wasn't confused, I'm like, if I touched that, I'm like, oh, man, this is a nice piece of gummy right here, man. It's looks pretty tasty. But what do you get out of taking a crap in a bag and then letting it sit in the sun for a little bit? Because you got to bake it on 350 degrees. That's what they said. You got to bake the poo for 350 degrees. And then you go sniff the bag, bro. Like, you're sniffing ass, man. That's not good. Normally, if you pooped in a bag, wouldn't you just set it on fire and knock on somebody's door for them to stomp it out? <laughs> yeah, like, what's going on, man, with our generation, man? Like, this is scary, man. Imagine when you get old and these are the kids in charge of the country and in, in charge of, like, your health care and things like that. It's scary getting old, man. You know, I've always felt like I got old fast because one morning I woke up and I had no hair, man. I was like the black Professor X. You know what I'm saying? But now it's like, who's going to diagnose me? Like, I go into the hospital, man, with just a minor headache. It was all, sir, you got syphilis. What? How did I get it? You know, I don't know, sir. We have to chop off your head. <laughs> oh, my God. You at least would have thought they would have go with the foot. I mean, <laughs> they, even Kujakente and diabetics have their foot cut off. <laughs> yes, Kujakente. We were talking about the millennial thing. Technically, being born in 83, and we're born a day apart. You were born the 18th, I was born the 19th of February. And we're technically in that range. I think it's like from 81 to somewhere in the 90s or maybe early 2000s as millennials. But being older millennials, we grew up and seeing the transition of technology. We went from rotary phones to touchtone phones to cell phones. We went from those old word processors to internet from aol to now high speed internet and it's crazy how we've been able to see the transition of time just imagine a person who went from seeing the light bulb to running indoor bathrooms to cars and to (laughs) radio and stuff like that yeah that's true especially from a gaming standpoint 
We've seen Atari, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Genesis. We were born in a great time, man. Like, we've seen so much things, like, even all the way up to PlayStation. You know, it's just wow, man. Everything that we've seen, man, is amazing. And I empathize with those people that, you know, the first thing they ever seen was a candle being lit and how wax was formed. And that's all they ever got man, from lighting fire on wooden stakes. That's it. And then they didn't get a chance to even see, like you said, the light bulb or anything evolve, man. Like, it's crazy, man. This reminds me of, like, back in the days with the Black Plague and all that stuff, man. Those people didn't get a chance to see anything, man. It's sad, bro, but I'm glad we was born in the generation we were born in, man. Because we got a chance to see everything, man. Airplanes, and we haven't seen flying cars yet, and supposedly the Jetsons, they were flying in the 70s. What's happening with that? If you ever look at Super Mario Brothers, you got the thing. They had to be done by hippies. Think about mushrooms that make you change size, flower power, and stuff like that. It oh, just yeah. makes you think. Oh, yeah, man. Super Mario, man. And then it was two Italian plumbers, Mario and Luigi. Oh, man, bro. That's just racism, man. The weirdest transition as it is, I was very interesting. I know recently over the past year, you've been documenting trying to reconnect with your dad's family. And it was a very interesting story and a very unique story. And I wanted to talk to you about that because nowadays you see people trying to get up with their genealogy and getting a better idea of where they came from. What led to your decision to not only find out more about your dad, but reconnect with his family? And what did you feel like the initial reaction was going to be when you you went to try to reach out to him okay so it was uh 2017 um and i was actually watching a movie antoine fisher very good movie i don't know if you've seen it and the movie's about him you know trying to find his family like where he come from and like that's another movie that denzel washington did really really well in but i was sitting on the couch one day and my fiance and she said hey you know that reminds me of you a lot she said why don't you uh Never try to uh, reach out and find out, you know, your other half. And, you know, I used to get really sensitive and get mad about it. I was like, you know what, I don't know where to even look. She said, well, do you know anybody that you can remember growing up with, you know? And at the time, they used to come down to Ocean City. I've seen my dad, like, probably maybe, like, uh, I'll say, like, twice when I was a kid, though. I could very, very faintly remember him, but he had a really, really thick Italian accent. That's all I remember you know, um, and I didn't understand what he was saying at the time. But uh, she said, yeah, why don't you try to, like, find out where these people are or, you know, don't you even want to try? So I went to bed and I was going to go to bed and then I was like, you know what? I remember one person. Her name was uh, Gabriella. She's my niece now that I know her. And I said, uh, well, I remember this one. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't know if she was my niece or what, what she was. But I knew she was related to me somehow. And I said, uh, I'll try to find her on Facebook. You know, Facebook is a great tool. It's not just used for like craziness, but it can help you if you're especially looking for things of this nature, man. And I went on Facebook and I typed in her name and a person popped up that kind of reminded me of her. Like, again, it's been almost 25 years, man. You know, people change. I, I wasn't too sure. So I, I took a guess at this person because her last name was Espinoza. She got married, and I didn't know that. But I was typing in Rossetti, and then I just said, "Well, I'm gonna write this person." So I ended up writing this person, and um, I said, "Well, we'll see." And I ended up falling asleep. So 
the next morning my phone is like going off crazy man like, like just going crazy and what i do i'm a director at a casino so i figured it was something from the casino or whatever and next thing i know i looked on my phone and it was her i got this message back and i was like oh man so i opened it up and she was like hey this is gabriella and she said are you tommy and i was like yeah i said uh, i'm sorry to bother you i said i was just trying to get a hold of some family i have a brother named Franco, my dad name was Antonio, she said, uh, yes, we've been looking for you for like almost 10, 15 years now. I was like, oh my goodness, man. We ended up talking. It was just so surreal how it happened. And then we ended up talking. She said, well, we got to meet. I got to tell my mom. Next thing I know, I'm getting all these phone calls from these different numbers from like New York. And and then like, it was crazy. All my sisters tried to get a hold of me all at once. I uh, gave him my number. It was just like a movie how it happened, man. So they ended up having a, a condo in Miami, and I ended up uh, driving down to Miami and ended up meeting, like, one of my sisters at the time, man. I, it was like, a, I don't know, it was so unreal, man, when I first met them, man, because it was like, a, I know what my mom and my dad did, you know, but I had nothing, you know, he, he had nothing to do with it. You know, it was really hard to talk to him. Even now, like, I've been to New York. I've been to their house, you know, in New York. And, like, I'm going to plan on going on a trip to them to Italy so I can find more family over in Italy. So it's very, very emotional, man, because it was a void that was always never filled in my life. You know, and uh, my dad, he uh, did what he did. You know, I know he left when he passed away. He kind of didn't tie that knot with things. But, you know. I believe in God, man. I believe that wherever he is, he had something to do with us, you know, coming back together. And it's almost like being that lost boy, you know, growing up. You don't know what people go through in their privacy. And the things I went through, not knowing my dad and not feeling like I'm never, like, good enough. You know, like, it was funny. I was talking to them. And I was like, you know why I took up hotel restaurant management in college? It's because I wanted to have a closer bond to my dad. And at the time, that's what I thought he did. He was. He was the owner of restaurants. He was a hotel owner. And then to come to find out, my dad was none of that. Like, he did that in his later life. In his earlier life, my dad was an opera singer. He made shoes, orthopedic shoes in Italy. You know, he was this totally opposite man. So I kind of, like, had formed my life, you know, to be closer to a, a guy, to just to have, like, a bond with him. It was a reality check. I was like, wow, this guy's not even, he didn't even do this. What am I doing? You know, like... But just to have a bond with him, I wanted to have some type of connection with him, you know. And it was rough, man, but that's just life, man. Sometimes you go through things, you know, you don't know what's going to come your way, man. But when I met them, it was like, you know, um, still now, Earl, man, I still be in, like, dreamland when I talk to them. Because it's like, uh, it's something I thought that would never happen. I thought I was going to leave this earth and, like, never know. You know, I would just be a misplaced person. When I try to talk to my mom, she could give me only pieces of answers. She didn't want to, you know, say everything to me. But that's the thing. When you're a kid, man, you're asking all these questions like, hey, you know, obviously I look different from, you know, Brian and DeMonte and, and everybody. You know, like I looked a lot different. You know, I was more on the yellow side. And uh, it was like, I don't look like you guys. So what's going on, you know? But, you know, everything worked out, I guess, for the way it worked out, man. Because I'm pretty sure if I would have met them when I was 16, 17 years old, I would have probably been more angry than when I was when I met them now. Now that I'm a man, you know, and I have a kid of my own, you know, I got my son now. So I'm kind of able to understand. I mean, I tried to understand things, but 25 years, I said, uh, 
Jesus, man, that's like a long time that goes by, man. You don't even know if you're going to, you know, ever meet these people. That's what I would say to myself. I, I said, so I kind of wrote it off. But, like, had I not ever seen that movie, you know, you know, my uh, fiancé putting that in my head, like, I would have never tried, man. I would have never tried to do anything. Like, I would just keep going on through life, you know, just wondering, like, man, I got a whole lot of people out there that I'll never know. Never. You know, I'll just be, you know, when, when I pass away, that's going to be it. That's going to be my legacy and with things, and that's it. So it was uh, very, very surreal, man, when I met them. You know, it was almost like meeting, I don't know, like uh, your favorite actor or your favorite sports person. Like, to me, it was like, wow. Like, I walked into my sister's house and I saw all these images of my dad, man. It was like, wow, man. I'm here looking at a, like a star. At the time, that's what I felt like. I was looking at like this this icon, man, like that was never a part of my life that wanted to be. You know, they told me that he wanted to be a part of my life and he got sick. And, you know, my dad, he died fairly young man he was only 60 you know he had cancer in the sinus and he got cured of it but then he got sick and then that's what uh, took him out but even now it's hard to pick up the phone and call them because you don't have that relationship with them so you don't know if they're busy or you just don't know it's sometimes it's still uneasy picking up the phone like even with my brother man my brother's 60 years old man 60 years old i have an older brother and He's already set in his ways. You know, you can't really, like, change anybody's mind with things, you know. Like, they're just, uh, you know, the way they are, man. He came around, and when I went up to New York and I uh, seen him, he came around and said, hey, you know, I know we missed out on a lot, but, you know, if you have us, you know, we would, like, get to know you and things like that. It's so much energy, man. It's a lot of energy to try to put into it, man. It's hard, man. But, you know, I believe that we all met up for a reason now you know, more than anything. So I'm trying to seize the opportunity to talk to them and be more open with them. And, you know, yeah, it was a very, very trying time, man. But like you would have never known because I've always been the type of guy. I've always been goofy. I always smile. I always like to be like a jokester and things like that. But, you know, in a person's private life, you never know, man. They go through things, you know. Mine was dealing with that, you know, growing up. It was very, very uh, hard. But now, you know, it, it's like when you wake up in the morning putting on your shoes, man. It's getting easier, you know. But it was tough, man. It was a tough thing to do. I had two questions I had to ask you. First, was there a fear that you wouldn't be accepted? And how did your parents meet? Well, yeah, that was a big fear of me not being accepted. I mean, like, it was on two aspects. One, because I was biracial, you know, but, you know, this is me not knowing, you know. The whole feeling of he obviously cheated on his wife. And then they're Italians. Italian people are very uh, family-oriented people, man. Very, very family-oriented. And they're really respectful to uh, their mothers and to their fathers. They're like that. Well, at least in the family that I'm a part of. That's how it is. Can't speak on everybody, but so when I first got there, I felt like, oh man, you know, I know they're gonna respect their mother a lot, and I don't think they're gonna accept me. I, and I thought that's what it was this whole time, you know, that they just didn't want any part of me um, because of their mom, my dad's wife. She's still alive to this day, and she, matter of fact, Earl, man, she's one of the reasons. I don't know if you looked at my Facebook. I'm kneeling down at this lady. That's my dad's wife. And she's one of the reasons why a lot of this happened. Because she said, you know, uh, no, no, that's not his fault. You know, what, what Tony did and Geneva did, that's them. But that child had nothing to do with that. And it was, uh, you know, it was very uh, reassuring that she took the step. This lady's almost 82, 83 years old. And uh, she uh, was okay with things. She was at, at peace with things. 
but for the longest, I thought they didn't want me around because of what happened, you know, but they didn't know, even when I talked to them, they didn't know uh, the real reason why we never linked up. She thought because of my mom. They thought because of my mom. It's just like a big misunderstanding, man. And uh, I'm glad now that it's all out in the open. It just was a bunch of missed opportunities on both parts. Both parts could have been a lot better at it, man. But, you know, what are you going to do when you got a kid that was born out of wedlock and whose dad, if you're looking at my sister's point of view, my brother's, hey, dad cheated on our mom. And now we got a little brother out there and we got to accept him. Like, it's, it's, I don't know, man. And like I said, but they came to the conclusion, hey, but it's not his fault. When my dad and my mom did, it's them. You know, he didn't do anything. He had nothing to do with that. He can't help that he was born, which I couldn't. You know, I didn't ask to be here. None of us asked to be here. We're here. You know, but how they met, my mom worked for my dad, man, actually, at Seascape Hotel in Ocean City, man, when my mom was like 20. But that's when she had me. I think she was like 18 when she started there, man. And then like uh, he was the manager over there. He was one of the managing partners over there. And uh, man ended up, I guess, you know, linking up right there. I know she worked for him for like maybe two years and then she ended up leaving because she went up there and talked to him. And uh, she said that they messed around or whatever and, he, and then boom she got pregnant and she said oh man the only thing that i um you know uh did i, I shouldn't have told him was on top of the roof of seascape and she's like oh my god i thought he was gonna throw me off the roof when he found out <laughs> so i was like well and she told him and then when she had me he saw me and i guess he was like yeah i can't deny it that's my son so that's the story that i got that she told me man so that's how they met and she actually worked for him in the hotel she worked for him in laundry. She was doing the laundry there. And he was head over laundry. He was a managing partner or something like that, she said. And then, uh, yeah, they would come down every uh, summer to Ocean City because Franco, if you ever been on the beach, as a matter of fact, on 18th Street in Ocean City, it's called Franco's Pizza Parlor. That's my brother, Franco. If I ever come back home, which I will, I'm coming home in uh, April. I don't know where you are now, Earl, exactly. But I'll be home in April. I go down and see my mom sometimes. But I know my brother, he'll be running the shop. In April, we get together, man, or something. Man, we go get some pizza, man. It's really, really delicious, man. He got a pizza parlor there, and he has a pizza parlor in New Rochelle, New York. And then I think one in Jersey. He's doing really, really well. So, yeah, man, it was a roller coaster ride with this, man. But, you know, I think I'm at peace with everything because I was mad for the longest, but, uh, you know, I had to mask a lot of things, and uh, I don't think I turned out that bad, man, you know, for not knowing no direction. I, I, for the longest, like I said, man, I was more mad at him because it was like, man, you just left me here, man, and I kind of have to figure out things on my own, you know, but um, I stayed away from, like, the bad stuff, did never do any drugs, and never went to jail, never did anything like that, man. Went to college, did the best I could, and uh, yeah. You know, that's, you know, with my mom, God, is my mom did the best she could with me, man. I know it's hard raising a, a adolescent like myself, but, uh, yeah, man. I believe if I had met them at the time, you know, growing up, it would have been, uh, it would have been a lot more um, damaging, I think, to the relationship that I would have had with them. Because I was more angry then. I was in my angry stage. You know how Eminem started out and he was mad at his mom? You know, now he's like, Hush, little baby, don't you cry. Everything's going to be all right. I would have been like that. I mean, that's where I'm at right now, man. So it's like, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I think God works in mysterious ways, man. And uh, he knows what's really troubling you in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, man. So 
that's the story, though, man. Believe it or not, how it happened, man. I met them through Facebook. We linked up through Facebook, man. And then it was like, you know, cream cheese from there, man. You know, it was a cool spread, man. I wish that you could rewind that moment again and again and again. Because it was very emotional, you know, um, going through that, man. But, uh, yeah, man, like, my dad was, uh, from what I understand, he was a very, you know, very good man. And he got along with everybody. And he loved his family. But, you know, he did what he did, man. He was a man. When you're a man, you tend to come short. We're not perfect people, man. So, you know, as good as he was, he had flaws, man. We all do. So that's how it happened, man. I know you mentioned being engaged and having a son. How do you feel fatherhood has changed you? Oh, man. Wow, man. So, like, fatherhood has really opened up my eyes. It's not about you anymore. Like, I used to, I was a big guy into fashion, which I still am. Don't get me wrong. I love clothing. But, like, you think more of, like, when you became become a dad, you're like, shoot, man. I got to buy a house now. I got to do this. I got to teach my kid the ins and outs of life, what's right, what's wrong. It's an eye-opener, man, because you want them to be more successful than you are. And um, you just want to put them on the right path, man. But, you know, it's fun, man. You know, you see uh, this little miniature of yourself. You know, they're running around. They're breathing. You can't believe you like, man, I can't believe this guy came out of my sack, man. <laughs> I just can't believe it. This guy came out of my sack, man. My, and, like, it's just like, wow, man. You're just amazed by it, man. <laughs> but uh, it's just an amazing experience, man. Like, and then... I don't know, man. Like, I've been scared of having kids for the longest, man, because I said I didn't want them to grow up and be upset with me. Like, if I was to die or or something happened and I couldn't be around anymore. That's my biggest fear now, you know, and I'm 36 now. I didn't have my son until I was 33, you know? like, And I was like, wow, man, and I would have kept on waiting. But it was my time, I guess, you know? And um, fatherhood, it's uh, what you make of it, I guess, man, because I love my son, man. He's an awesome kid, man, and... um. He's very smart, man. And I love being a dad, man. But, you know, like like I said, I was very fearful of it for the longest time. That's why I waited so long to have kids, to have a kid. I mean, this is enough for me. He's enough. But it's cool, man. It's cool, man. Like, when I look at Dante, he, they're getting to have another baby, you know. And uh, he's got, like, he's got a, what, 16 or 17 18, because <clears throat> Dylan is in my niece's uh, age range, and she's got to graduate. Yeah, that's crazy, man. And Dante looks the same. He's not too far. He's in Wellington. He's probably like uh, two hours away from me. But yeah, no, man. He, I just, I didn't even get off topic. But no, it, it's cool, man. It's cool, man. If you're down to like really, really be in your kid's life and, and support them, and it's just awesome. I wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world, man. You know? Now, as we transition, because there is sports in the title of the podcast, we got to talk a little bit of sports. And you said earlier in our pre-interview, you have season tickets to the Miami Heat. What is that experience like going to that game? I always saw, especially even during the LeBron days where the arena would be half empty before the first quarter. Bro, it is still empty, man. That has not changed. It's even more emptier now, man. Like, when I saw Golden State play, that's the most I've seen it being packed there, man. When Golden State comes into town or, like, if you see LeBron or something coming in. But nobody wants to see the Knicks come down or if, like, Atlanta comes down because there's no big stars, man. Everybody wants to see Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, or Paul George. That's the most I've seen it really, really busy. Nobody else really, like, uh, <clears throat> is a big attraction, man. Like, you go to a game there, man. Usually, I'm sitting right in the middle rows. 
about time the third, second quarter comes around, you can move down, man, closer to the game because it's that empty, man. You don't even have to be like a ninja. You can just walk down and sit in somebody's spot because it's already waiting for you because like, it's nothing, man. But it's fun, man. You get to see the games and everything, but it's still empty, man. It's still not as good as when you see Curry and uh, Golden State come to town. Then it's like, wow, you see some of the, the celebrities come out, man. Like, man, I see these people on TV. You see, like, Kim Kardashian, believe it or not, because they got places in Miami, you know. You'll see them. You'll see Kanye. I remember I've seen Jay-Z. Man, it's crazy, man. You get to see all these people, man. And it's like, wow, these people I grew up listening to and watching. So it's cool, man, being able to see all that stuff, man. How much do you pay for season tickets? What kind of package do you get? The package I got, man, was the brother package, bro. <laughs> you know what the brother package is? I paid close to, it was like three grand. Three grand. It's expensive. How man. many games? It's like you see majority of them. You don't see all the games, man. But it's enough. Every time they have a schedule, I do miss some because of my job. But I'm usually down in Miami a lot, so that's when I go and see them. I get to see half of the games, man. But you're in Miami. You're paying that price, man. Yeah, and that's the thing for like I get Orioles tickets, and we do like 13 game packs, and we're only paying combined for two seats for 13 games a season. We pay 450. We pay 450 for 13 games. You know that's not counting driving from Newark, Delaware to Baltimore, which again isn't that bad. It's just all about honestly. We can get there an hour from where we're living, and we're 40 minutes away from Philly. Yeah, no man. You come down to Miami, Florida, man, it's different ball game, man. It's so expensive, man. It's expensive, man. Because you're paying for almost a seat of stars, man. Mm-hmm. That's what you're paying for, man. Then the food there, like, I got a hot dog and a drink, man. I paid almost $15 for it. For a hot dog, man. And you see them down in Atlanta where they got everything super cheap. You paid like maybe like three bucks for a hot dog and like two something for a soda. And it's ridiculous. I mean, and I know the Ravens just did that too. They cut all their prices at their stadium, I guess, to be a little more fan friendly. I mean, if you're paying ridiculous amounts of money to go see a football game, you might as well at least pay something cheap for concessions. Yeah, they know what they're doing, man. They're milking it, man. Because like, who's not going to want to go and see... If you got the opportunity, who's not going to want to go to see Dwayne Wade or, or LeBron James or Stephen Curry if you got the opportunity to do it? And people are going to do it, man. They're going to pay that money. I know I did. You know, I was fortunate enough to be able to go and put the money to go see the games, man. But it's still fun. It's still something I wouldn't trade. It, it's a great experience. Growing up, what were your favorite teams? Um, in basketball, it was at the time the Lakers. I mean, I, I, I was more of a Kobe Bryant fan. And that's in basketball. Football, I like the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers because like, I was a big fan of Mike Allstott, Keyshawn Johnson at the time, Warwick Dunn, you know, John Lynch. I just love uh, even Warren Sapp in my football. Um, wasn't really big into hockey. Baseball, of course, I grew up watching Cal Ripken, man. Baltimore was, you know, the Orioles, you know, was a team. I, I remember going and seeing the Shorebirds play, man. But I wasn't really more or less into baseball. Um, you know, I would like to play it, but I wasn't more into baseball. But basketball, football, and like now, believe it or not, I was into mixed martial arts back then, too, with you know, the Gracie, and then I loved uh, Carlos Newton, all those guys that were fighting Don Fry, Dan the B. Severin. That's when it was more bare knuckle. You didn't even know the art forms. You just saw these guys busting each other's in the chops. But then when Royce Gracie um, stepped on the scene and he started using Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that's when it became more of an art form then, man. You had to actually know what you were doing instead of just going there swinging, man. But 
Um, yeah, football, man. I love Tampa Bay. Love the uh, um, Lakers growing up. But I've always was a Golden State fan. Always, with, even with Tim Hardaway, Chris Mullen, when they had uh, Mitch Richmond. Um, like, I still watched uh, Golden State play, you know. But um, I was a Kobe Bryant fan growing up, man. So those were my teams and everything I was into, man. I know you mentioned mixed martial arts. And for some reason, I just prefer the boxing part of it. And I'm not a big boxing aficionado, but I'll watch boxing matches when they're on TV. And I feel like UFC mixed martial arts has taken some of the best things of both pro wrestling and boxing. And that's what I feel like has been huge in making them popular. Um, Believe it or not, man, Like I think it's still more safer than boxing. With boxing, you're constantly either getting hit in the body or hit in the head. But it's more like a chess game, man, with UFC. You know, it's like, okay, let me see if, if I get you down to the ground. Let's see how you're great. Because it's all about being able to fight off your back. And it's a lot goes into it, man. Like, it's a lot more technical to me, a lot more strategic. So, I mean, it's, you know, that's why I love John Jones so much. Unfortunately, he had his run-ins with USADA and everything. But uh, I still think he's, like, one of the most dominant lightweights in there because he's able to adapt. You know, that's what you got to do in UFC, man, you know. Okay, you may be good at standing up, but what are you going to do if I get you down to the ground? You know, are you going to like, uh, you can't punch me off your back. I mean, you can, but it's less effective. You know, so how are you going to get me off your back? Well, I either have to submit you or I have to do something to get top mount on you and then ground and pound you or, or submit you. There's always ways you got to figure out what you're doing. You got to actually, and it's more professional, you got to keep your body in shape, you got to make your weight. I know when I was in wrestling, it was the same thing. You know, Master Gunnery always had us run, man. I don't know why he didn't believe in weight training, but we just ran. And then we did our exercises. But I remember one particular thing, maybe to get off. I was in regionals, man. And I went against this guy. You know, when you're in regionals, you go against people, I think, like almost 10 more, 15 pounds more than you or 20 pounds, whatever the case may be. And uh, this guy, man, I got on the mat, man. I, I don't even know if you were there at the time. He probably was there, man. This big white guy. This guy was like, I look like Creed. And Creed too. And like uh, Drago's son was looking, man, all diesel and stuff, man. This guy slammed me into a coma, man. He slammed me so bad, man, that uh, I actually won. I sunk a half in on him, and I won, but I couldn't continue after that. He slammed me so bad that I caught the flu. It was bad, man. I didn't even want to go back out there on the mat at the time, man. But, like, yeah, Master Gunner did not believe in weight training, man. He just believed in, you know, you did those squat thrusts and some push-ups, man. One, two, three, one. One, two, three, two. Man yeah. makers, boy breakers. Let's drink. <laughs> Niner. Man Niner. Oh, my God. I was uh, just talking with one of our previous guests. She had wrestled in high school a little because she didn't get as many opportunities. I was like, if you ended up going to Snow Hill, you probably would have ended up wrestling. Well, now I think about it, they probably might not have had that much of an opportunity to wrestle as much because even Jamie didn't get a shot to wrestle a lot. Yeah, well, Jamie was slapping any damn way. She was slapping you, man. So it was uh, something else, man. <laughs> but... That's what UFC is, though, man. You got to know how to adapt, man. So it's one of those things, bro. It's funny. I was going to ask you about wrestling, and we started getting on the whole Master Gunny thing. It's like, I know he was very focused on cardio, and especially knowing the routines and things like that. I'd be curious to see how his techniques would mesh up with some of the stuff that coaches do now and some of the other coaches that I've covered as a reporter and how they would do their routines. 
Well, I think Master Gunning, he was a very strong-willed man, man. I know he had to be, what, 45, 50 at the time, and still, you know, he was able to run and be real active and to instill that in us, man. I mean, I think it would be a great technique because, you know, like, I remember this kid. He was fat, man. He was real big, and then uh, he lost a lot of weight, You talking about Yeah, Melito. Yeah. There we go. Like a Melito. Yeah, yeah. He was big, man, and lost a lot of weight, man. And, you know, I think Master Gunnery, man, he was smart before his time. I think it would mesh well with the, uh, you know, way coaches do things nowadays, man. His way is old school way. You know, he's an old school guy, man. Marine, the mentality that those guys got to have is strong, man. You know, I'm glad that I got to experience a man like that, man, because believe it or not, just going back to where my dad and stuff, he was like a father figure in my life at that time, man. You know what I'm saying? So he was a great, great wrestling coach, man. Although I still got my struggles with him with weight stuff. Man, I think we should have been using some weights, man, because like I said, man, I got slammed, bro. That was hurt, man. <laughs> that hurt my feelings, man. See, that's the thing. I was never big into weightlifting until like maybe when I turned mid-20s, early 20s. That's when I like got into shape. I like lost 40 pounds. And yeah, because I would hit the gym. I'd go in for like, this is what I'd do. I'd do an hour and a half of weightlifting and a half hour on the treadmill and and even then at that time i was still eating what i wanted because you know when you're 23 24 25 you can still do that now we're 10 years older i don't think we can still do that man believe it or not i'm still active man i still work out man i still play basketball to keep myself in shape man um i still run around these young kids like when they're playing basketball i go out there and play with them you know just to keep up with them because they're young they're faster so I try to push myself to keep up with them. I mean, I still try to do things, which I, I'm still very active in sports. I still lift weight. But, of course, you know, attrition and everything's going to come to all of us, man. But it's how you able to deal with it and make sure you just always keep yourself thing going. You know, if you're just walking or if you're just picking up a weight from here and there, just curling it or or just watching what you're eating, believe it or not, it's all in that. And I know you're near Philly, man, so I know you get some of them good old cheesesteaks, man. You know, it's <laughs> funny, as the older I get, something about cheesesteaks, they're not as appealing as they used to be when I was younger. I just There's just ah. certain foods, but as soon as you say that, there is like this uh, Brazilian steakhouse right in Delaware that's basically like Fogo de Chao, but tax-free and cheaper. And, you know, <laughs> you get them guys in there with the swords and cutting all the meat off on the plate. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, again, there's not something you do every week, but I'll admit it was like when I did the sports jeopardy and one on there, Lisa went like two or three times in that. And then like a three month and a three month, three or four month span because it's like, Hey, we have the extra money. It's like, you know, you get on the game show and you win. Like sometimes it really is true. When you go on game show stuff, that can be life changing money, especially if you know how to handle it. As you mentioned before, we should learn about credit scores and how to balance checkbooks and stuff like that. I feel like Sometimes people can win a whole bunch of things, just like the lottery. They can lose that money just as quick as they got it. Yeah, that's true, man. If you're not smart with your money, man, you can put yourself in a big hole, man. And it's more easier to put yourself in and then getting out. It's really, really hard trying to recuperate and then, like, you know, get out of a hole. It's just so easy to go into it, but it's so hard to get out yeah, we waited. First of all, California takes their money for being on the show. Then you still know you got to pay the government eventually. So we held off on any expenditure that would be ridiculous. Worst case, what? We got a PS4 or something like that. You know, PS4 is not going to, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to hurt you financially. No, it's not. Yeah. And we always try to get our games used anyway because 
What's the difference if a game comes out a year later? Like Madden. Doesn't really matter. I just bought Madden 17 for like four bucks. (laughs) I don't care, man. It doesn't matter because if there's something I really... If it was something that we really wanted, we'd we'd go out and get it. And then, we you know what? We'd make the promise that we wouldn't spend a lot. And yeah. that's the big thing. It's like, because we knew, because, man, we owed like 7000 as a result of winnings because it also pushed us in almost into a new tax bracket just because of that. And and then that point, yeah, $7,000, it was a lot. I think it was more than that because I think federal, they had to get their share. Delaware gets their share. But other than that, we weren't spending frivolously. We kept track of our money. We keep track of our money now. It's just, it is funny. I always feel like, I don't know if you watch Big Bang Theory, I always feel like Howard Wallowitz, where he talks about he was an astronaut and like, oh yeah, I was on a game show. Like, I don't want to be the dude that just said, yeah, I was on a game show because that's cool, but I'd rather be the dude that wrote a book about, hey, I was on a game show instead of being a guy that said, I was on a game show that that's really true. you can't even find anymore because they took it off crackle. But <laughs> damn, man. But uh, I'm glad I got copies of my episodes. But yeah, it's just like, I got into a really lucky situation, missed the first test, got a chance to do the second test. And okay, I'm like, okay, I didn't expect to get a call, get this email. Hey, we want you to come to New York and do the audition. And then not even that long after the audition, it's like a phone call middle of the day. It's like, hey, we want you to come out to L.A. I know it's so short notice, but can you come out to L.A.? What the hell? Might as well. You only live once. But yeah. That was a whole cool experience, and yeah, eventually I know I'm going to go into depth on that uh, another time down the road. I don't want to hijack everything. I feel, always feel like I'm hijacking stuff when it comes to uh, talking to the guests, because, you know, it's about them. Yeah, no, it's all good, man. No, I actually, uh, that's good, man, that you did that, man. Bro, like, come on, man. Whoever would have thought, uh, even when I look at Dante and what he's accomplished and what you've accomplished, man, you guys did really, really good, man. I mean, I've done stuff good on a low scale, like nothing, like I've never been on TV or anything like that. But man, like, I look at Dante, he's making his nutrition videos and, you know, motivating people. He's the next Billy Blanks, you know, coming out and, you know, you're on Sports Jeopardy, bro, like. Because you're smart, man. You've always been a smart guy, man. And, uh, man, that's awesome, man. I'm happy for you, man. And happy for Dante that he's doing well. And, you know, and then, like, look at how many of our classmates, man. Like, how successful everybody's being. Some people are still back home in Snow Hill, man. Working at Paul M. Jones. It's <laughs> <laughs> still around, I- bro. <laughs> uh, you know that Chinese restaurant China Moon apparently closed down a while ago I didn't even know because that was the last time I saw you face to face previously because I think you had already left and I hadn't moved back and it's like I saw you at China Moon we were having like some type of discussion because I hadn't seen you in like years after you and me asked so I was like yeah that's the last time I had saw you there and like that place is closed down apparently I mean IGA is still open but you know yeah IGA man it's uh now they got cast tanks there <laughs> Yeah, no, man, I've been back home, man. It's been almost, what, I went home recently, but it's been almost four years now. Because I only go, like, every four years or something like that. And uh, I, I want to start going back more now because, like, you know, my mom's getting older. And I don't know, man, you just want to be more intact. I actually thought about, you know, moving to New York now. A lot of things crossed my mind now, man, because being down here in Florida, I'm so far away. It's amazing how when I was trying, when you're young, you try to get away and run away from everything that reminds you of things. And now that I'm down here, I've been away for so long. It's like, man, I want to gravitate toward more things that I grew up with or be more near the area, near my family, or especially now that I met my dad's side. You want to be near them more, you know, like, cause man, I missed out on so much, so I got to make up for lost time, you know, but yeah, man. 
I don't know where I was going with that either, but I just uh, that's all right. It's funny, uh, you know. We're it's just 2019. I was like, we're almost two years away from that 20th class reunion that we'll probably never have anyway. <laughs> yeah, we didn't, we didn't even have our 10 year one. There was like an 11 year one where everybody was at uh, secrets. Um, and it was a secret. <laughs> well, I, I saw the group thing. It's like, yeah, I just don't know because you know it'll happen if it happens. You know, eventually. Because surprisingly, we haven't had a lot of our ranks thin out yet. If you look back at our class, who has really died from our class? And I know that's a dark question to ask, but honestly, it probably once you get that 30 mark, that's when you're going to probably start seeing people drop like flies. 30, 40 mark, that's when it gets. And you know, you imagine having those 70 year reunions. It's sad because there's only like two people there. <laughs> it's like, what's the point, man? Just have us some coffee or something and just call it a day. <laughs> Just call it a day. I mean, like I said, the key will be like 30, 40, 50. That's basically it. Because after that, it's like you said, attrition. Because ain't nobody going to be around forever. No, I did not, man. But, you know, I don't know, man. Nobody's really passed away, man. Daria's been skipped over, man. Like, I know Sandra, her brother passed away not too long ago. But nobody, like, in our, like, you know, I remember a guy. I don't know if you were around. His name was Julius Holden. I heard the name, but now I can't say I do know. Yeah, no, he probably was like the only one, him and his brother, he probably was the only one that passed away, but everybody else, I think... You Tanya Mitchum, think that might be the only person. Tanya Mitchum, yeah. but that was before we even graduated. <laughs> yeah, I don't think nobody has, man. And, um, you know, I think, believe it or not, I believe, man, our year, especially us, us as a group, I just think we were more like, uh, I always thought we were always going to be more okay because we didn't really do anything bad. We didn't do anything like... Uh, I don't know. It just always had this feeling, man, like we were like the chosen group for some reason. I don't know why. I've always felt like we were the chosen group to be more successful, to be okay with life, you know, whenever life has, you know, whatever happens. I, just, I guess I'm feeling real biased because it's our class, you know, but I thought our class was awesome. You know, even when we were up to graduation and like we did our talent shows, I think we had the most awesome talent shows you know, when me and you got on stage, man, and would perform, man, like, yeah, I, and we all performed, man, like, that, oh, my God, man, it was, like, awesome, man. It was a great thing, man. I, I don't know. I don't know. Briefly getting into music, you know, I don't know how much you listen to modern music today. I feel like such an old person now saying, how much you listen to modern music today? But yeah, I try to get into a lot of music. I just can't. I feel like, you know, maybe it's just us getting older and i've always felt like i've been like a musically repressed state like 2000 on back yeah but other than that there's like little songs here and there you know there's a couple of songs that i like that'll end up making my playlist or something like that but other than that yeah. i just can't get into it anymore i i you know what man i'm so glad you touched on that man because music has always been a big influence on me you know from r&b i'm talking about real r&b to real hip-hop or soft rock and things of that nature man but the things that really bother me man nowadays is this trash music they play on the radio i can't even listen to the radio anymore because it's so bad they talk about the same thing over and over it's either about women money cars and drugs you know, and it's not even nothing productive in the music anymore, man. Like, even with R&B, the R&B isn't really R&B now. It's, like, intertwined with this trash crap they got on, like, hip-hop. I don't know if it's hip-hop or what it is, but it is so bad, man. Like, when we grew up, we had, what, the Luther Vandross and Babyfaces, and then, like, we Jodeci. had, like, It was so much soul 
put into music, man. Like, it was more like, you know what I mean? You being in love and falling in love with someone. And nowadays, it's all about you just smashing their brains to pieces and killing people. I mean, don't get me wrong. We always had gangster rap, but it always informed you of what was going on in the community. Like, NWA, and then you had, like, your conscious rap, like, Black Star. You had Tyler Kweli. You had all those guys, man. Most deaf. Like, conscious rap. But now, it's just... And I'm not going to say I blame the South for this, you know, um, but... I'd blame the music industry because they yeah, let this happen. Yeah, but, but you got to understand, like, they want that to happen, man. Like, come on. Like, everything is uh, a plan. I believe in the Illuminati. I believe in that stuff, man, because it is a way to, like, control a population, man. It's just so big on killing the message to people, man. Like, hip-hop has gotten so raped now. It's so, like disgusting like it's a shame i was talking to like matter of fact millennials man these kids oh you ever heard of little yachty he's dope what are you kidding me little yachty and i'll look this guy up and it's so trash man it is so horrible probably like the best rapper he died now recently xx tentacion he passed away. He's probably, like, the best one that was out of all of them. But he was going through mental depression. He was talking about depression, trying to help kids that were going through depression, you know, because he was going through it. And that's what I'm saying, man. Like, oh, my, what's the guy that's going to jail? 6'9"? Yeah. Oh, thank God he's in jail. Thank God, man. Kiki got that wet. What are you talking about? Who the hell is Kiki, man? You know, that's just terrible. I don't even know who Kiki is, bro. But I, I will say this, but nonsensical lyrics have been going on for 60 years, from Yakety Yak to Louie Louie, from every little stupid little song. <laughs> there have been nonsensical lyrics from the beginning <laughs> of time, from the beginning. Yeah, man, but we're supposed to stray away from that, Earl. Like, come on, man. There's a lot of, like, either way, goody, goody, doop, 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 goody, goody. Like, that doo-wop, skibbity, doop, yeah, I see, but that's considered an art form, jazz and, and, it is. and scat. It is, now it's watered down to that smooth jazz, which you can hear on your NPR stations if it isn't bluegrass. <laughs> yeah. No, man, it's just music. The hip-hop has been so... If you notice, that's really the only thing that has, like, got changed. Country. Country, country has become country. more pop. I've seen it go from the old stuff to a little more, you know, all my rowdy friends, and then this, and then you get honky tonk, but donk donk, and then you go to uh, everything sounded like an R and B song, like that one with uh, what is it, uh, BB Rexa and all them. Yeah, it sounds like an R and B song. It could basically be played on. Oh, God, I was going to say OC-104, but... Man, you remember OC-104? I, I always talk to my wife about this. OC-104 used to play everything under the sun in the mid-90s. They wouldn't just play hip-hop and R&B. they play Hootie and the Blowfish. they play, yeah. like, some Ace of Bass. they play all types of stuff. I remember they had that Casey Kasem's Countdown on Sundays and Paul Harvey talking about the rest of the story on the afternoons. It's just... It's weird how radio has changed. And I understand you got to go with the trends and stuff like that. But I feel the more I talk about it, I feel like that picture of... Uh, oh, man. Bro, that's what I'm saying. Like, bro, we grew up in a great time. You don't even hear, like... I know you remember growing up listening to uh, when you get on the school bus and they would play songs on the school bus. Like, we'd be going to school and they would play, like, uh, Luther Vandross. Or they were, I grew up in Salisbury, so I would hear Froggy 99.9 on the bus instead of OC-104. Froggy 99.9, oh, that's true. Uh, my bus driver, Mr. Manor, would play Shut up! <laughs> Rest in peace, Mr. Manor. He used to play all that stuff, man. You know what I mean? I still remember him going outside, man, 
and this lady's dog was being attacked by another dog, and he took the table leg and beat the dog. He's like, go! I'd like to find a way to mix together your version of the story and Brian's version of the story because <laughs> it's oh, it is hilarious either way. Because oh, it's like, oh, I remember he's like, oh my god, he's like, shut up, shut up. He's hitting it with the table leg. Like, shut up, get off. And then Mark Gentry had to stop the bus from rolling backwards. Yeah, it was bad, bro. We were, it was so bad, man. We were done right out there by uh. Oh, man, I forget where it's off of Basket Switch Road or something yeah, like that. The, the opposite side of Basket Switch because we had uh, Miss Paula, we had Paula Turner on our side of Basket Switch. Yeah. We were on the 113. Well, both leads to 113, but yeah, we were on the 113 side main to the highway, and that's where we caught our bus sometimes. Oh, and man. Yeah, Mr. Shockley, too. We had a whole bunch of people. Oh, yeah, man. I remember Mr. Manor, man, because, like, Mr. Manor was the first bus driver I ever seen. He used to wear these tractor hats. And then one day, I, <laughs> one day I saw him sat there. He was, I think, I think he was dying, man, because he was so old already. I know he drove, like, maybe four generations of Bankses to school. And uh, this guy was leaking yellow stuff. You ever seen the movie Phantasm? I can't say I have. Oh, man, well, it was a scary movie this, about the tall man. And when you hit him... He had, like, when you cut him, he had yellow blood. I remember watching the bus one day, and Mr. Manor had, but he took off his hat, and this yellow shit was just leaking down his face. Man, I was like, oh, man, this guy's bleeding Gatorade, lemon-flavored. So I was like, oh, man. But he was already old as hell, man, when we, uh, <coughs> he had to, like, help Jesus in birth or something, man. That guy was old, man. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you been back to see the renovation at Snow Hill? It's a completely different school now. No, man, I haven't. I'm so scared to go back there for my childhood memories with Mr. Henry, man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Scary, bro. Oh, I ran God. away from Snow Hill. <laughs> I ran away. As soon as I could, man. Uh, I mean, no. well, he's not there. You know, Miss Purvis is the uh, principal now. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. What happened to Miss, uh, what was her name, man? Stuart? Um, yeah. No, nah, she's retired now. Oh, yeah, she's okay. retired now. But yeah, Miss Purvis is the uh, principal at Snow Hill. I'm trying to think who else is still there. Uh, well, what happened to Mark Record? Did he leave too? Or? Well, he left a while ago and he was like principal of like St. Francis de Sales in Salisbury at one point. I'm trying to think who else is there. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody else that I remember is there. I think everybody's retired. Um, yeah, I yeah, everybody's gone. Mr. Krause is gone. He retired. Uh, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Harrington died. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm trying to really think who else is there. Uh I don't know if Mr. Vanderveen's still there anymore. Yeah. Ronnie Smith is Ronnie Ronnie, what's it, Mr. Smith? Ronnie Mr. Smith Wilson? Though? Well Wilson, Ronnie Wilson. Nah, right. I think he's I think he's retired. Uh I think he might be retired. I have to see I saw him at a Christmas party. He was like, I yeah, I remember I had you for science class in like ninety seven, ninety eight. <laughs> Because he's like, you know, when you're a teacher, it's like all those years, everything starts running together. But yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think anybody. Oh, Coach Hall. Coach Hall's there. Really? He's still there, man? Yeah, he was coaching. Yeah, yeah. He was coaching softball and all that stuff there. That guy was always in shape, man. Still looks the same. You know, the picture of Dorian Gray. I bet there's some photo. He just probably gave his soul up for eternal youth. (laughs) He still looks the same. Because when I went to Miller's funeral, you know, you know, big Chris Waters, he's like, man, everybody looks old. He's the only one that doesn't look old. He's like, he must have black in him. 
I seriously don't remember who else. Yeah, everybody else is gone. Um, yeah, I don't remember. It, again, it's it was like a faint memory before because I hadn't been back there a while because I hardly got to cover Snow Hill stuff when I was reporting. But yeah, it's such a drastic change. I mean, it looks just like Pokemon. How you've seen? You remember how Pokemon? Yeah. Pokemon had their oh, renovation. Yeah, 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 it's basically yeah, yeah. a carbon copy of it because they were the exact same school beforehand, and now they look the same again. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah, and I haven't been back to the high school in, in a while, man. Once I got away, man, I ran away, man. You know, I ran all the way down here, man. <laughs> I wish I would have ran to the opposite side or to California or something. But I came down here. I did it backwards, man. Oh, man. Florida's great, but not as cracked up as everybody thinks it is. No, I know, because there's that Florida Man website where you hear all the weird stuff that happens there all the time. Man, yeah, man. I've experienced a lot of stuff down here, man, with all the hurricanes. Like, we had – I was – uh. I was down here when Irma happened, and it was, oh, my God, man. Uh, I had to end up driving to Tennessee. I went all the way out to um, Chattanooga because I had to escape the hurricane yeah. in Irma. And where I lived at, the eye was right over in Fort Myers, Lehigh. And then, like, I was like, man, we got to get out of here, man. So we ended up evacuating. I drove all the way to um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And then when you're driving up, it was like seeing uh, the apocalypse, man. There was people on the side of the roads. They were fighting over gas. It was like, oh, my God, man. It was like seeing, oh, 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 it was like, oh, my God, man. Uh, it was scary, man. You know, I was like, oh, crap, man. Like, I said, this was a bad idea. Maybe we should have just stayed in and try to, like, you know, muscle it out. But then when we were driving back down, you could see all the damage, man. It was, like, scary. When I got back to my house, I lived all the way in the back of, of Lehigh. And you couldn't even get to my house because it was a river. And you see cars submerged in water. It was really scary, man. It was so scary, man. I was like, man, I thought it was either Aquaman or somebody that was, like, you know, upset with us land people. And he was just flooding the land of Florida again. And they were the and, Submariner. Yeah, the Submariner. Him or his brother Orm. And he was just upset with us land people. I thought us land people did something to them. One more thing I want to talk about before we wrap this interview up. I know you were definitely into the culinary arts and cooking and things like that. I would just get an idea about your interest in it, how you got so fixated with it, and if you have a couple of favorite celebrity chefs. Oh, yeah. Like, I've always been a big fan of Emeril Lagasse. But I got into culinary arts, like I said, it was uh, to, like, make things form. Like, you know, I just, I just love food, man. Food has always been a great thing with me. Who doesn't like to eat but the creativity? I, believe it or not, I'm a real great cake baker. I'm, I'm more of a baker than anything. Like, that's the, one of the side things I do. I design cakes. I make cakes. You know, I'm, I'm starting to do wedding cakes, man. And, you know, that's what I'm in, I'm getting ready to do now, open up my own bake shop. Um, so it's a great thing. I mean, that's how I ended up transitioning with the whole culinary thing. You know, I love to cook. But I've always been a big fan of, like, Malty Mario, Emerald, you know, Yan Can Cook. I grew up watching George Wilson. Mm -hmm. George Wilson was an old-school dude, man, I used to watch, man. He cooked old-school. Uh, he would he would say, onion. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, the Louisiana guy, yeah. Yeah, get them onions. <laughs> you know, man, and it was uh, – 
You know, I love George Wilson. The animal <laughs> I thought farm. you were going to say Orson Welles. <laughs> Orson Welles. Man. Yeah, Orson Welles <laughs> could apparently find his way to eat, man. <laughs> oh, if you ever like seen that clip from the critic where he's he's talking about he's sitting in front of the screen and he's like, uh, he's talking about these frozen peas and he's like, he takes you can taste the green penis. <laughs> And eating raw fish sticks, it's like, man, yeah, nothing's better than Mrs. Poe's fish sticks. And he's like, mm, it's even better than raw. Oh, goody, I have a French fry in my beard. Uh, yeah, no, man. I, um, yeah, I've been uh, to a couple of food tastings and things of that, man. But my biggest thing was uh, baking, man. I love to bake, man. I'm a great baker. I love baking cakes, man. And you end up with a mixture and it molds into like this uh, idea that you have in your head with things. It's funny you say that, man. I was actually going to try out to be on like Cake Boss or Cupcake Wars, but never got a chance to go all the way through with it because you didn't think you're good enough. But... Like, I'm actually going to try again to go through it to do, like, uh, we don't do Cake Boss anymore, but they still do Cupcake Wars. So I'm going to try out again for Cupcake Wars, and hopefully you'll see me on Cupcake Wars or something, man, because I like to do baking, man. And, um, I mean, I'm really good at making ganaches and fillings and things for cupcakes and, and baking cakes. I've got a couple of clients. I made my son his Monsters, Inc. cake with just fondant and... The crispy treats, man. Chocolate molding. You know, it's just fun, man. It's awesome. I'm more now into, like, uh, you know, like I'm still doing, like, I, mean, I love my comedy, man. So I'm kind of scattered around everything, man, right now. I'm trying to figure out what's going to work, what's not going to work. But, yeah. Yeah, no, man. I still do my bacon. I love it, man. I, I know there's this place that was in Snow Hill. They make a cake. One of the people made, like a bucket of crab with a giant old bay can out of the fondant and everything and it's like wow that is like super excessive cake design yeah man it's uh you know it's real basic what's done and, and they got all the fancy names like oh yeah you're gonna make a chocolate ganache you know what it is is you take some milk and chocolate and butter and just melt it together <laughs> that's all you're doing that's a ganache man you know or like you're doing like your buttercream your buttercream icing and then fondant all that is is you take marshmallow with a little bit of like sugar and water and then you mix it all together melt it mix it all together and then that's fondant man i've always found it funny these technical terms they call these things man oh get you a bechamel sauce what's a bechamel oh it's a white sauce it's just white a white sauce it's some cream you know or mascarpone or something like that i don't know man i just think it's always funny how they try to make things more fancier than what they are. Because if it were an American speak, it wouldn't be as fancy. Yeah, no. See, I want to be the first, you know, you know, guy to come up with my own restaurant, man, or, or whatever, and just call it how it is. But, yeah, man, you know, if you want some Ed's Benedict, what you got to do is, you know, make you some eggs. You make them sunny side up, and you put some yellow hollandaise sauce on it or whatever, man. Just come up with it and, like, just be, like, original with it. You know, you ain't got to come up with no fancy names. It just, man, you take some sauce, you pour it on, and it's good, man. You eat it, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to, like, cooking, like, I will watch a lot of the Gordon Ramsay stuff, and, like, I watch the videos, and, like, I've learned how to brown the steak better. And the biggest thing for the longest time was resting. Resting food. You People never knew about resting because you let it cook inside the internal juices, cook inside and let it cook the rest of the way through. We always learn sometimes, and maybe it's just because of a cultural thing. Like, for example, you see the one Facebook signs, like how they have the different types of steaks, and everybody apparently will say, you know, rare, medium, well, um, 
I question you and I'll unfriend you with the well done and stuff like that. It's like, honestly, it took a friend of mine telling me this, getting well done just allows him to burn your steak. Yeah, that's it, man. I don't know, man. Like when I get a steak, man, I'm not trying to get heart disease. So I eat myself like medium well. Mm-hmm. I have a thin pink in there. But like if you have a filet or like a nice piece of Delmonico ribeye or, you know, like dry age, something dry age, you know, medium to medium rare. Because it's tastier, man, you know? I've seen people eat blue rare. I know. I saw somebody who ate their steak bloody rare. But yeah, it's like, it's same with burgers, too. I mean, the only thing you worry about there is like E. coli because that's a whole different issue. I understand why some people want it thoroughly done because they don't want to get sick. But I feel like you lose the essence and the taste and the flavor of it if it's not seasoned well and if it's not cooked at the right temperature. Yeah, that's true. But everybody is on this health kick now, man, but... It don't matter, man. Like, there's something that's always messing with us anyway, man. Like, they're putting too much fluoride in the water or whatever the case may be. You know, it's always something that's combating us, man. So it's whatever, man. You know, you eat, you indulge in in moderations. You eat things in moderations. And uh, just like what you're drinking, if you drink or whatever, I I don't do either. Like, drink or smoke or nothing like that. But if you do everything in moderation, you should be fine, man. You're not eating, like, steak every day if you're eating a mid-rare steak every day you know and like I'm, of course you're going to end up having some type of problem eventually if that's all you're eating your intake is that or like just rare meat you know there's people even with pork chops now man you know i've always been known to cook pork all the way through yeah you should yeah, yeah. but there's people that's eating pork chops like medium i had a guest the other day asked can i get my chicken medium a chicken breast bro like, we can't do that you get in trouble for that. Right? Yeah. I, like I saw a thing they were doing chicken sushi where they lightly torch it. And like, no, that's death. It, it's <laughs> dead. It is dead. It's not fish. It is not beef. Hell, it's not even crab or shrimp. Those things should not be eaten. Not fully done. Yeah, that's true. But another thing I didn't get a chance to tell you real fast, man. I'm a big bowler. I am a really, really huge bowler, man. I am actually trying out for the pba man i didn't get a chance to tell you that trying out for the pba i'm a very very big bowler really good i threw my first 300 game like two months ago i've done a lot of league bowling here and, and i'm really really good bowler now man and that's something i wish in high school we had because i was self-taught in bowling learning how to read the lanes and things like that but bowling there's no sponsors and bowling doesn't get the recognition that it gets yeah, i don't deserved. even think they have men's bowling and well if they have men's bowling they don't have it at umes they have the women's bowling team who's been really good but they don't have a men's team oh yeah man bowling is awesome just something about when you rolling that ball down them hitting them pins man and it's just hitting that one three and watching the pins just like get pushed back it's just awesome man it's so mental with bowling the bowling is the hardest thing man like you got to always adjust always got to adjust and boy when the lane breaks down and it's just you always got to adjust man it's fun though i know a few people who are interested in bowling and one of my previous guests she has this unique delivery she's sort of like windmills and gets down on a knee and bowls and she bowls really well with it and it's like I've never seen that before. It is so unusual, but it's so effective. You know, everybody has their own way. I feel like it's like a way a pitcher throws because everybody has a funky windup and a funky delivery, but it's the effectiveness is what matters. Oh, yeah. It's all about your release, man. It's really in your approach, like how you release and how you approach. And you got to always touch your ear when you're bowling. It's like you're shaking hands with somebody and you're touching your ear at the same time. It's how you rev your ball and. It all depends on what your ball is. A lot of people, when I used to go bowling, 
not knowing anything about it. I thought the house balls, I was like, how are you getting your ball to curve and hook and all this stuff? And it's not the house ball. You know, you got to buy, you got to invest in balls, man. Like I use track ball or motif. You know, those are bowling balls that I use. Or now I just got a new quantum bias that I use. It's, a, it's an all white ball, man. It's really nice, man. Uh, but it's the physics in the ball, the core what makes the ball curve and then how many revs you put on it. But, yeah, man, bowling's awesome, man. Um, but, yeah, your approach and, like, how you read the lanes is all where it is, man. That's what Belmonte does, man. Belmonte, he's a two-hand bowler. I don't know if you know who that is. But uh, he throws two-hand, and he's won, like, what, four PBA championships? Guy's awesome, man. He put bowling back on the map. See, that's the only thing. I only know, like, Pete Weber. Um... Norm Duke. I've heard of Earl Anthony as yeah. well. And I don't know if you saw the Red Sox outfielder Mookie Betts, how he bowled a bunch of 300 games recently. He's legit, man. He was American League MVP. He is like a killer bowler. Yeah, just like Chris Paul. He does it. He does bowling tournaments. Chris Paul from the Houston Rockets. Yeah, Rockets, yeah. Him, Terrell Owens. Yeah, a lot of those guys do it, man. But I was like, hey, Pete Weber, every time I see him, he does the Rob Van Dam stuff. <laughs> 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 I'm telling you, it's like that, man. If you ever been to a league bowling night, man, and you see people bowl, man, if you step up, you try to bowl, and while they're bowling, they'll like curse you out, man. It's just, a, it's, it's an experience, man. It really is. I love it. Uh, Thomas, I do appreciate you being on this show. What are some of the ways people can reach out to you? I know you're on Facebook and you're on Instagram, but do you do any other social media? Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm just now getting ready to get on my comedy page and everything like that with my comedy. I haven't got it built up yet. Right now, I'm just on Instagram and Facebook, but um, I'm going to put a link down on my um, Facebook if they want to get a hold of me doing my comedy site and everything through the Laughing Comedy Club, Fort Myers. You'll see me on there. Like, matter of fact, I brought my trophy. I wanted to show you. This is my donkey trophy for stand-up comedy for Laughing Comedy Club. I don't know if you see it. It's called Laughing. Yeah, Open Mic Award. Yeah, Open Mic Award. So I got that. But I'm going to be part of their um, regular routines on Wednesday. So hopefully I'll get, like, a website and everything up with my bio and everything on there. But right now I'm just on Instagram and Facebook. That's it. That's it. That's that's all the social media I'm on right now. I was telling this, I think, with Dante or my brother Eddie, which is like with social media, I think with us being millennials, honestly, getting on Twitter isn't as big for us as it is for somebody like 10, 15 years younger than us. But I was only on it just because really for journalism and it's a great way to disseminate news. But, you know, sometimes hearing some of the dumb stuff that people put on nowadays, just about yeah. personal life, you don't want everything about your personal life on the Internet. Yeah, you don't want to do that, man. Even no. though, you know, the government's tracking you and everything and all that stuff. But you don't want to put any extra stuff out there than you don't need to yeah that's very true man i just i was very skeptical even having a uh, facebook and instagram man because i was like you don't want to post too much about your personal life on there and everything like that so i don't know yeah no i'm just uh i'm just on those two things man yeah i tried to not do as much especially if i was ever in the field of looking for new jobs but after that i'm like well you lose a job and you're like well at this point what do i have to lose so <laughs> <laughs> so truth, you know man. but it happens I, again i do appreciate it thank you so much for being on the show and i definitely look forward to having you back again so we can talk a little more about a lot of stuff we didn't get to catch up on like some pro wrestling and so much other stuff oh yeah man i'm always down man for your earl man i appreciate you brother thank you for the opportunity to talk with you man I hope you enjoyed my interview with Thomas Banks. It was great catching up with him, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. 
Tune in next week for our next episode of the Sports Refuge Podcast. You can listen to episodes of the show through Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and on iHeartRadio. Until next time, this is Earl Holland. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.